It's December 6th, 2017, Independence Day in Kansas. I'm Dave Elling. You're on Deep Background. Is it Kansas Day? No, no, no it's, it's Independence Day, Day because we have an independent running for governor. Brian oh, Lowry joins us. It's a pun. Yeah. Brian Lowry of the Star's uh, political reporter joins us. And thanks to you for joining us today on the podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about Greg Orman's apparent decision to at least move closer to the governor's race in Kansas. <laughs> what, it, steps. what it might mean for him and what it might mean really for the field. And then we may talk about a, a couple of other political issues as we continue the conversation. Again, Dave Helling with the Stars Editorial Board and Brian Lowry. Well, Brian, uh, this was kind of a surprise that it happened today. Not a surprise. It was a surprise that it happened in December. I don't think it's a surprise that it happened. Now, we've been hearing uh, Greg Orman's name nearly a year we've been hearing it for quite some time uh i think even if you go back to january uh the first kind of speculative stories about the governor's race floated his name out there and every few months you know things have kind of heated up the star and our sister paper the wichita eagle report in october that he was already in the pro he was in the process of interviewing uh, potential campaign staff but they launched it uh today in a pretty big way they're still not calling it official though yet we get into kind of this this interesting political hair splitting he has filed the paperwork with the state which now allows him to legally raise money uh, uh, to run for governor, and he has launched a website, and the website already has campaign promises. However, they are saying this is an exploratory campaign. How exploratory? I don't know. It looks like the wheels are moving. I would expect that you'll then, a few weeks from now, maybe a few months, Greg Orman will say, yeah, guys, I'm really in it. But the right. important thing is this means he can start uh, raising the money. It's a little bit peculiar to choose to do that in December, which is the final month of the uh, fundraising um, quarter, uh, he's going to have to put a, in a report in January. But he'll, unlike the other candidates, some of whom have been, you know, raising money since June, he's only going to have um, he's only going to have you know a few weeks. Yeah. To do Although, some let's be clear, fundraising for Greg Orman is a different challenge than it might right. be for other candidates. <laughs> Yeah, he's got a few bucks in his pocket. Let's let's review. It's a little bit easier for him than it would be for you or me. Yeah, that's I mean, right. A in lot in 2014, uh, if just like first just to establish who Greg Orman is, uh, if you if if you remember, he ran uh, as an independent candidate uh, for U.S. Senate in 2014. The Democrats at that point basically got out of the way for him. They they essentially you know they withdrew their candidate and they didn't appoint a replacement. Uh, he went head-to-head -head with Pat Roberts. He came up short. He lost by 11 points. It's a little points. more complicated, wasn't it, Brian, back in the day? The idea that somehow the Democrat, Chad Taylor, got right. out. Oh, it, yeah, it, yeah. it was much messier yeah. because there was some effort by Democrats to get Chad Taylor to drop out because they thought Orman, you, for whatever Senator reason, Claire would McCaskill have a better took, chance. Yeah, she took, she took uh, credit for it. Um, it's essentially the idea was that Orman was polling better than Taylor, had deeper pockets, as you've alluded to, Greg is a, a businessman. He's got a whole bunch of different ventures. Real estate's kind of his big thing, but he's, he's kind of across a lot of different sectors. When he had to file a form uh, to run for U.S. Senate in 2014, um, I think I calculated that his assets were somewhere between 21.5 million and 86 million. Uh, the Senate doesn't actually require you to put the exact dollar amount of all your assets, They're but to put them range. in a range. And so, but he's got significant assets. He spent millions of his own money to run for U.S. Senate, and he will likely spend millions more 
uh, running for uh, governor. So, yeah, you're right. Unlike, you know, every other candidate who does have to make the phone calls, all these things, Greg can self-fund. Now, a few political scientists I've spoken to today, though, have candidates who primarily rely on self-funding don't always do that well. There's kind of... As making those phone calls to raise those dollars, it's also it's not just about getting the, the, the money. It's also about kind of establishing a support network. You know, those dollars are often tied to people who right. can help get you some votes. Well, the other, the other thing is, uh, quite apart from the money that Greg Orman might bring to a campaign, and any independent lacks the infrastructure that a party right. can provide in registration, in get out the vote, in, in, in some ways mailing lists, other contact uh, related uh, information. So not only will Greg Orman need to self-fund, but he'll need to do a lot of the groundwork that he would not have to do if he were the right. nominee Just of either major is party. Staff issue. is another. Yeah. So what's his path? I mean, what if you were Greg Orman sitting here, what what you know, I think Kansas, uh, Brian, right. given the Brownback experience, might in the abstract at least give a hearing to an independent, and certainly Greg Orman. Right. But what's his argument? It's a, fa- be? it's a fairly narrow path, but you can kind of do the math and see where he s- sees it. On the Republican side, the clear frontrunner, as we discussed last time I was on the show, is Chris Kobach. Now, Chris Kobach is very popular with a segment of the Kansas Republican Party. But there's also another part of the party that sees him as toxic. Moderates do not like Kobach. He's well aware of that. Right. Um, and so you look at if the party nominates Kobach, he's pretty far to the right. He's further to the right than Sam Brownback, who had already uh, lost a lot of moderate support. So you see those moderate Republicans, a lot of them in Johnson County, those where Greg lives, those are a potential voting base. The Democratic side, it's a bit more complex. They're still trying to figure out. They don't have really a clear front runner, but you know Jim Ward, who may be the you know biggest name in the Democratic group, is probably the furthest to the left. So you can see, say Ward and Kobach win their respective parties' nominations. Greg can kind of go in there as the centrist and say Ward's too far to the left. Kobach's too far to the right, and maybe win a plurality. I think we all. I think this. He's kind of. He's not betting on winning a majority of the voters, but maybe if you get a third to Kobach, a right. third to Ward, he can get that just slightly bigger piece of the pie. There's also the abortion issue. Josh Spotty, who is the other big name Democratic candidate, has been struggling with the fact that you know, as a legislator, he had an anti-abortion. Voting record. Right, although so, that is a little cloudy now, and he's made some statements that have clouded that. It's a little bit cloudy, but I think for abortion rights advocates, right. they they don't see it as that cloudy. So there's some sense that you know, if say Josh got the nomination, well, you know, one thing that Greg can maybe then reach out to some of, of uh, the pro-choice community, but that starts to make it really tough to I think build a winning coalition right um, but I'm not really asking so much about the political path as the as the policy path I mean what message does uh, Greg Orman have as an independent that could not be co-opted by nominees in either party I mean that's the traditional dilemma right. for the independent is what is he going to say right and I, I that's talk- different from what the other candidates and, are going to say talk to a political scientist uh, today who said you know when independents win they usually have a more substantive message than um, I'm in the middle, these other guys are too far, right. which was essentially Greg's 2014 
message was, you know, right, be or that I'm a new, but, uh, but Chad Taylor got out. Yeah. So he was able to make the, the right. you know, I'm this, but I'm also this. You're not going to get that chance yeah. this time. Um, th- where what one thing he's jumped on something that it seems like every gubernatorial candidate has jumped on uh, is the issue of transparency. Obviously, that's coming in the right. wake of a, a star series that you know right. uh, outlined but a Chris lot Kobach of. Chris Kobach can make that argument. Chris Kobach has been making right. that argument. Josh Roddy yeah. can yeah. make it. Jim they Ward, all been. of them. Um, Ed O'Malley. I mean, just go down. the I mean, list. essentially, his approach to politics, though, if you want me to give you kind of the, he's he is essentially more of a fiscal conservative than I think a lot of. The Democrats, uh, but he is also pretty socially liberal, um, and I mean, I think he's trying to appeal to a certain type of voter. It's kind of it's a it's a message that I think plays well to a segment of Johnson County voters. The question is, does he have a message that will um, resonate in Western Kansas and rural parts of the state? Will it resonate in more urban areas like Topeka? Uh, KCK and Wichita that, you know, the area, the more ur- the urban core of Wichita always goes very right, strongly right. democratic. Are they going to go with Greg Orman? I mean, I think that's where some people over well, it. Let if me, there's a Democrat but, on the ballot. Let me propose an alternative scenario in which Greg Orman assumes for the sake of argument that Chris Kobach is the nominee. I think everyone's and, assuming and his Right, <laughs> which I'm not sure is a great <laughs> assumption at this point. We're a long way away, but let's just assume that for the sake of argument. Greg Orman could look at that and say, look, there will be lots of Republicans yeah. who will look at the Kobach candidacy and be unable to pull the lever. They just yeah. won't be able to do it. But they, and, but they can't do it for a Democrat right. either, particularly uh, one they may not know or may not have a lot of enthusiasm right. for in a state like Kansas. And so the alternative becomes, well, here I have this centrist, non-party guy, right. sends a message that's got to be his calculation, yeah, is that I, I, he would pull as much from Kobach as he would from the Democrats. I don't know that he actually would pull as much from Kobach as but the Democrats. But that's got to be what's he, in his mind. I think he mind. clearly, though, is gearing towards uh, these moderate Republican voters who are the key to swinging an election. A Democrat can't get elected governor unless they capture a sizable percentage of those moderate Republicans. Orman is very likely calculating that he can do a better job at capturing those voters um, as an independent because he doesn't have the D next to his name, it still makes it very tough to get a plurality. But I mean, I think you're right. When we have, if we have a three-way race, there there becomes a little bit of right. I mean, my point is that everyone was saying today, everybody has been saying as we tape this, oh, uh, Norman candidacy uh, <coughs> candidacy helps Chris Kobach. I'm not sure that's precisely true. I mean, first of all, we have to wait for a campaign. There are a lot of things that can happen. You know, in 2014, Greg Orman was at 2% in the polls on the 4th of July and became the front, or not the front runner, but a, a candidate. So a lot of stuff can change. But my point is that he could arguably pull as much from a rightist candidate like Kobach or maybe even Jeff Collier as he could from the Democrats. I mean, I think his play is clearly under the idea that Kobach's too far to the right, Jim Ward or whoever will be too, too far, far to the, the left. left. However, I talked to Chris Kobach today. Greg Orman didn't you know, return our phone calls today. Chris Kobach always returns phone calls. It's yeah. one thing you could count on him for. Uh, and so I did talk to Chris Kobach today, and he's pretty happy. I mean, he, he said, come on in, the more the merrier. Right, and the and, Democrats were being very aggressive about getting him out. I mean, the quotes oh, yeah. were pretty amazing. You know, he's a 
millionaire and that kind and of thing. And that's been going on below the surface for quite some time. There's been a lot of backroom conversation. The Democrats have been kind of tearing their hair out uh, for months about the prospect that Greg Orman would get in. But, Co- I mean, Kobach and Kelly Arnold, the Kansas GOP chairman, I spoke to both of them. I mean, they they essentially see this as helping them. Now, I'm not saying they're correct, but I'm saying they see this as something right. that makes their path to the governor's mansion easier. The Democrats' debate uh, here in Kansas City this week on Thursday, does the Democratic field change its approach to the primary based on the Orman candidacy? Definitely, yeah. It's, it, it, this is something— What now? Do they go farther left? Do they try to co-opt the middle where Orman thinks he is? I think what they, they need to try and do— um, and I, I, you know, I know that at least one of the Democratic candidates was having, you know, a kind of, you know, there were Democratic candidates who were having crisis meetings about Orman getting, basically, for the exact reason that you're talking about, how do we deal with this? And I don't know if I've got the easiest answer for you, but I, I think they essentially, they need to try and make the case that there is that he's not a real alternative, that the only real alternative to a Kobach or Collier is the Democrat. That's, I think, the case they're going to make. So I think they still do need to kind of pitch it at the center. And I get that after the primary, but what about the primary itself? I mean, does it change the potential for the Democratic nominee, whoever that might be, based on the Orman candidacy? In other words, does that change the Democratic field? Or do we just all go forward and then wake up in the middle of August and reset the the, the race it, and figure out where he, we're he at? He does a couple things that he puts that he, I think, puts pressure. He puts pressure on fundraising, right? Because right, Democrats are already in a tough fundraising situation. But again, he's a where, self-funder. I don't but no, think... no, no. But think about what this means for the Democrats. They've already, you know, it's not just, I'm not just worried about Greg Orbit. I'm thinking about uh, how he well, affects everything, the, the right. ecosystem. And the Democrats are having trouble already fundraising because of the specter of women. We've spoken to multiple people who have told us that. Why? Because Democratic donors, the people who think write it's less likely. the checks, think it's less likely that um, it's less likely that the Democratic candidate will prevail. And so then if they think this is less likely to be money well spent, right. they are less likely to do it. On top of that, the campaigns, which are already going to have to spend money during the primary, which is actually usually, you know, Democrats already face a more uphill battle. But one luxury that they usually have in Kansas is that they don't have to expend a lot during the primary. We don't have a clear front runner. They're already going to have to be spending money in the primary the fact that you're going to have Orman who may actually come into the general election with bigger coffers than the Democrats, that's got to be a concern, too, a as far bit. as that long game. Although although there is some residual benefit for whoever the Democratic nominee is from the primary advertising because, frankly, most of Kansas doesn't know anything about any of these guys. And right. so there is some benefit. But, right. but, but, but if you're right... That applies across the board. That doesn't benefit Josh Zavadi versus Jim Ward or the other people in the field. Right. It affects them all equally. I'm, I'm just I trying to also- decide if the primary picture is now changed in terms of who the favorite might be on the Democratic side based on the Orman. I issue. think they need to make Does the— it, Let me ask it another way, Brian. Is there an argument that— Svati is a better candidate if Orman's in the race than Jim Ward, or does it affect them all equally, or vice versa, or whatever? 
I'd be hesitant. I I'd be hesitant to make a real call on that, but I think yeah. what they both need to do, what Ward, Brewer, and Spotty all need to do, is they need to make the case that they can prevail in, in three the three way race. Way race right. right. That becomes a you know. Spotty has had the argument um, that you'd heard from a lot of Democrats that he's the best guy to take on Kobach. He was, you know, well, that well, he wouldn't use this term. He was arguably the most conservative of the Democrats, the most centrist of the major Democrats in the race. Basically, the one who could capture those moderate Republicans and independent voters who might be a little bit uh, on edge about voting for a Democrat but don't like Chris. That was kind of what his pitch within the party had been Jim Ward's pitch had been I'm the one who's ready to fight Kobach because you know he's always ready for a fight Um, they can't just think about Chris Kobach now they do need to kind of make some room for Orman in their messaging that look we have a tougher road to the governor's mansion I have a pl- I I am the one who can get us there because it can beat both of these guys. I can't right now pick out for you who that is, but I would say I they all face an uphill battle because yeah. they don't have the statewide name. I, recognition. I agree with that. But he's I, actually been on Orman's actually been on a statewide right, ballot, right. unlike any of the Democrats. Although I would argue that another valid uh, strategic approach would be to say, and frankly, this is true for the Republicans and the Democrats. But mostly for the Democrats, run your race. Just run your race. Make your argument. If you're the nominee, then at that point, you sit down and say, okay, now I have to deal with a, a three-way race if Greg Orman is still in, the, uh, you know, still running for governor. Because he's going to run regardless. I mean, if he's in, he's in. And the primary won't mean anything to him. And so you're not going to really change that decision. And rather than adjusting a message to beat Greg Orman, you really need to be focused on beating Carl Brewer or Josh Svati or, or, or Jim Ward in that primary setting, win that race, and then make some calculations about which way to go. I mean, it all And gets, that's true for the Republicans right. to a degree, too. It all, though, one thing that Democrats have struggled with in Kansas, not, not as much in the 2016 election, but certainly in the 2014 election, is getting their voters to the polls. And that's something that Democrats have struggled right. with nationwide. And so I think, you know, one thing that the primary becomes a little bit of a test for uh, is, you know, the ability to kind of have the turnout you need oh, no in those, democratic, way to understand those that. democratic strongholds. But I would say in 2018, yeah. turnout will be less of a problem than you might imagine because you've got an open seat in the second, you've got a competitive uh, third district race, presumably, maybe the fourth district might be competitive. Um, my guess is the general, and then you've got the whole Trump factor. Right. So there, I don't think any of the candidates are going to. And the interest in the Kansas governor's race, which will be huge as an open seat, uh, interest will be high. Assuming that Orman, and I mean, it's not that tough to get the signatures you need to get on the ballot. He certainly managed it for the Senate race, and he's starting a lot earlier than right. he did. And he's got plenty of money. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, so I'm just assuming that Orman is on the ballot. Uh one thing that becomes interesting is uh, the interplay between the governor's race and those congressional races. Um, whether, you know, if you get a competitive race in the third or the second, and then you're motivating a lot of partisans to get out, does that hurt Orman? Does that, or mm-hmm. does Orman bring out a type of kind of centrist voter who maybe will cast a vote for Paul Davis? 
in the second district or maybe will uh, you know, vote for one of Yoder's challengers. Yeah. You know, I would say this: it'd be hard in the second district, or maybe even the fourth, if the if a competitive Democrat is in. It's hard to see someone voting for Paul Davis and not voting for the Democratic nominee for governor, I, uh, whoever that is. It, it it just just again sort of spitballing it here. It's hard to see someone voting for a guy like Davis and then voting in essence for the independent. Right. I think the that question is, who does the Orman person now? Vote maybe for? that yeah. right. Maybe the, the other Congress, way works yeah. that the Orman guy comes in and says, "Okay, who yeah. do I want on the other side?" Let me ask you a final question, then we'll wrap up to, for today. You know, we have a two-party system for a reason, and, and, and one of the reasons is that it allows people to make political decisions without, you know, knowing everything about a candidate or just to organize their own political thoughts. It's so hard for an independent to run. I mean, it's hard based on manpower, on raising money, on ballot access, on argument. Um, and, and you know, I saw a lot today about, oh, this is great for America because an independent is getting in. Is it great for America that an independent is now upsetting what should be an R versus D decision in Kansas? Well, I, you know, I, I don't know that necessarily should be an R versus D. You know, there, you know, there's some people who argue that right. they want to see, like, they want to see the third parties. They want more choice. It's they not want a third it, yeah. party, but, which is um, a different thing. But, but one thing I think when we talk to a true independent like Orman who doesn't have the party infrastructure, I think it's significant the fact that we're talking about a guy who has possibly 86 million dollars or more in the bank you know yeah. because it's 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 when we talk about it's not just somebody who was like you know what i'm fed up with uh i'm fed up with these two parties i'm going to try to to run who you know was working as a carpenter yeah. or something like that it's some it's someone who has assets significant assets and you know think about some of the most high profile independents we've had in in politics in the past few years one comes to my mind is new york mayor michael bloomberg there's something about these kind of these true centrist independents right. they need to have a lot and they and there's already so much wealth in politics but to be to be able to compete with the two parties you really kind of need a significant right i get that but let me ask it another way we're in the general election. We've got three candidates, and we say, we ask, okay, what should the state be spending additionally on schools in the next year? And the Democrat says, well, I think it's $800 million, whoever that is. I'm just picking a number out of the sky. And the Republican says, no, zero. We, we know, we're fully funding the schools now. And so, Greg, and so Greg Orman, well, I'm in the middle. I think it's $400 million. The problem with that is maybe $400 million isn't the right answer. Maybe centrism independence is not in itself enough to argue for for being elected to office. I mean, it's easy to find the middle point. It's harder to take a position one way or the other, which is why you have, in my right. view, a two-party system. Well, keep, keep, you don't share keep that, in mind, you know, I'm not on the editorial page, right, right, right. so I'm not in the questions. I ask the questions. Right, I don't right. give the answers. But, but my point is that <laughs> centrism is it gets you so far. And then at some point, if you want to be a governor, you'll have to answer tough questions about a lot of things, and centrism in and of itself doesn't justify it. I mean, I've always one thing I've I have found fascinating for the past few years is the intensity of some of Orman's uh, supporters. I don't know about you, but you know, 
when I would write about some of the lawsuits against him, or I got some of the most vicious hate mail I got in 2014 was from the so-called centrists. I've been used as a reporter to getting hate mail from people on the left and the right, but 2014 was when I discovered no. People in the middle also write hate mail. Right. Um, there are there's a certain type of voter who just is a is just this idea of of centrism really appeals. Right. I think what you're getting at is what's actually behind it because centrism is kind yes. of a moving scale. If you move the right to the right, right, you move the left to the left. Where does the centrism right. move? We don't yeah. let any other candidate get away with saying, "Well, I'm a Republican. Vote for me on that basis." We say, "No. What What do you believe? What How would you do schools?" What, and 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 I think the biggest problem in 2014 for Greg Orman, which he may have again, is when that question came, he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. He was just. It was all about I'm in the middle. I'm an outsider on the process. But what does that mean? Will you caucus with the Democrats? Will you vote for gun regulation? And when those questions came, he was less than ready because he thought that his centrism alone was the argument for his That it inoculated him. Yes, yes. About any issue question that I'll make an independent judgment. Well, that that gets you a little bit down the road, but it's harder to come up with with a plurality under under that scenario to me. All right. Brian Lowry. This is an intense one. This yes, is it was. Like, I mean, good. maybe it was. I don't. Yeah, I gotta take a nap now yeah, after right, this right. one. Rest. Well, yeah. or have a cigarette or yeah. something. Brian Lowry with the Star. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll be with you again next week to talk about further developments in Kansas and Missouri. Fever covered by then. Thanks, Dave. Thanks again, Brian. You've been on Deep Background.